All right, well, let's jump into this this morning. This is part two of a, of a short summer series we're doing on prayer. Um, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to last Sunday's message if you need to catch up. Um, but the, the, the idea behind this series is looking at prayer through the lens of our, our personal relationship with the Lord. There's a lot that we could teach on prayer, but specifically the focus in this series is going, God, what do you want to do in me? What do you want to do in me? And so we've titled this series Remodel. And the idea is giving him permission to come in and do what he wants to do inside of us. Meeting him in that prayer closet and saying, God, here's the keys to the house. What do you want to do? What changes do you want to make? What furniture do you want to move around? What walls do you want to knock out? And, and letting him do that work. And so last Sunday, we hopefully cast some vision, um, but also gave some warning that that's a difficult thing. It's good news and hope-filled that God wants to do incredible stuff in us. But we got to be honest about the fact that we're going to feel the pain of that. We're going we're to feel it when he starts moving stuff around. And so let's purpose to decide that it's worth it and invite him in to do that necessary work of renovating our hearts. So this morning's message is now part two. We're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer the next two Sundays as kind of our model. And so let me start by just reading that prayer, and then we're going to pray one more time. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This is in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, Father, we do come to you and invite you purposely here in this place. God, we give you permission and access to our hearts and minds this morning. God, we thank you that the creator of the universe cares about us enough that you would come in a very personal way as our Father and spend time with us. God, would you do a work in our hearts this morning? God, I, I pray that that prayer would become familiar to us. Not, not in a religious way, not in a complacent way, but God, in the way that would bring life. God, that our, our prayer life, our communication with you, it would be like our lifeline that it would be a regular part of our daily walk with you. God, that we would know you, that you would know us, that we would invite you in to be king right here in our hearts. God, would you do this work in our midst this morning, but I pray that the ripple effects would go well beyond a Sunday morning sermon. We're trusting you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, well, my family and I moved last summer, right about this time last summer, and um, we, we bought 
a new house when we moved to Knoxville a few years ago, and I was grateful for it. It was nice having a house that didn't really have any issues. If it did, I got to text the builder and go, hey, I put a little dot on that spot in the house. You need to come, come patch that up, fix that. It was wonderful, and that lasted a couple years, and then we bought a house last summer that is a lot of fun, and it's beautiful, and we love it, and man, does it need some work. <laughs> It's been constant. And so I feel like in a lot of ways, the Lord's even used it just as a personal metaphor in my life. You know, it's, it's probably the most fun house we've had. It's got the most character, but I'm just constantly fixing things. And so, um, so here's something I've, I've practiced a few times, and I don't want to em- embarrass him or call him out or whatever, but Brennan, my buddy, has been kind of on speed dial a couple of times <laughs> for me. And so just, just a handful of weeks ago, um, you know, I, I get that text. Any of you guys have that situation with your kids now where you're in the same house, but they're reaching out to you through technology to communicate? I don't know if I'm the only one there. But I get that text that basically is, we're in the basement and water's coming through the ceiling. The text you never want to receive. And so I go rushing down there. And I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but where the paint kind of starts to like bubble, like the water's holding it and then it can't handle it anymore, and it bursts. There's like a little seam, and the water starts coming out. That's what I walked into. And so without missing a beat, I pull my phone out. I take a picture. I text it to Brennan (laughs) with the words, help, (laughs) which is a lot like my prayer life too. Help, I'm in trouble. But here's, here's the deal. I'm joking about that. The reason I text Brennan is, number one, I know him. I know him. I trust him. There's a personal relationship there. But I don't just text him because I know him because I know a lot of people in this room. I also text him because he's good at that sort of thing. He can handle it. He knows what needs to be done. And so as we we move into this this morning, I, I hope that that can be a little bit of our frame of reference when we approach the Lord. The first place Jesus starts his prayer is, is helping us recognize our position, our position. So check this out, Matthew 6, verse 9 again. In this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It is, it's such a simple and direct line, and yet it is just filled with life. First of all, Jesus starts out by saying, our Father, The sad thing, it's probably good in a lot of ways, but the sad thing is that's not that shocking to us. But it would have been if we were present in that day. In the entirety of the Old Testament, about 15 times God is referred to in some way as a father. That kind of imagery is used. But even then, it's not really used in the setting of like, someone praying and talking to him in in an intimate way like that. Jesus completely introduces this idea of approaching God as a father. Check this out. In the four gospels, in the four gospels, Jesus references God as father 165 times. That should catch our attention. The way Jesus prayed was revolutionary. And it's something we are invited into. We get to call him Father. Jesus says, you pray like this. 
Yes, he was the unique son of God, the only beloved, the one from the father, but he says, you're now in the family of God. You get to be called children of God. You pray like this. Start out with our father. Our father. It's the language of familiarity. It's the language of intimacy. Listen, I I realize the word father can be different for all of us. I hope that those of us who who have had good relationships with our Father can draw on that imagery to recognize that even the best dads pale in comparison to our Father in heaven who loves us. But the good news is, if that word Father comes with hurt, disappointment, if if we had an absentee Father, if we had a Father who who was tough, difficult, even abusive, God loves us enough that he wants to father us. He longs to be the father we've never had. He's a good father. He's a loving father. And he wants us to feel that sense of connection and care and intimacy with him. And so our prayer life is is meant to be rooted in something familiar and intimate. A father cares about what's going on. A father is present and available. And so that's the imagery here is that we have this father. Yes, he's in heaven, but as we're going to see as we get further into this, he's right here with us. He's right here with us. So approach him as father. Now, Jesus doesn't stop there. He then goes on to say, hallowed be your name. Now, I don't know about you. I don't use the word hallowed very much. That's not in my normal everyday vocabulary. But this word, it means to be held sacred or revered. It means I'm in awe of. I respect. I revere. There's something special, and I'm aware of that. There is something powerful about what Jesus recognized about his father. He was both familiar and intimate, and he was to be awed and revered and respected. Jesus humbled himself before the father. See, the, for some of us, this concept of, of God being familiar and intimate and relational, that's a new thought, or it's a, it's a hard place for us to get to. For others of us, maybe we've grown up around that concept and there there can be this mentality even in Christian circles where we're almost flippant about prayer. Like, God's just my buddy in the sky. And and we we can get so familiar with the relational component that we forget to be in awe of him. There's a reason we read the Old and New Testament together. Part of what makes the New Testament so incredible is recognizing what took place in the Old Testament, recognizing the doors that Jesus opened. When people encountered God in the Old Testament, there was one response. Bam, on their knees, on their face, humbled before him. God didn't have to announce himself and declare they should get on their knees, the minute they had that encounter, they knew it was their response to him, was to be in awe of him. 
Jesus says, listen, when you approach God, the good news is you can go running up to him like he's your loving father. So recognize how incredible that fact is. Recognize how unbelievable it is that the being who speaks and the world is formed, the one who's numbered not just every hair on your head, every hair on every head in this room, around the globe, forever. And so he invites us to view God as relational, available, intimate, and for us to slow down and be in awe of him. This is something that that we need to practice in our prayer life. We need to learn to hold these two ideas together at once. Hold them together at once. Viewing God as Father, he's not distant. He's not unknown and impersonal. But he's also not our pal. Let's not be flippant. Let's recognize what's available to us. And in awe go, God, I can't believe I can even talk to you right now. I can't believe that I can be in your presence, that you care about the details of what I've got going on. You care about even the smallest thing going on in my life. God, I'm in awe of that. Lord, I'm aware of, of who you are. Listen, one, one of the things that will fuel our prayer life is to become more familiar with the nature and character of God. One of my favorite things to do, like when we're reading through the scripture, is watch for places in scripture where God is being described. What is he like? Make note of that. Acknowledge it. Fill your heart and mind with, with who he is, with what he's like. God, you're all-powerful. You're unchanging. You're merciful. You know everything. You're everywhere at once. On and on and on. God, at your essence, your love. When we reflect on who he is and what he's like, and we even begin to declare that back to him in prayer, you can't help but be in awe. And then in the midst of that recognition of who he is and what he's like, to then be able to go, and you're my dad. That's my dad. One of my favorite things as a kid, I remember growing up and going to my dad's softball games. And, and man, in my mind, watching him out there run, make a catch, you know, slide into third, whatever, like, in my mind, I'm, I'm watching like a major league baseball player. He's like the greatest ever. I go to play catch with him and like, I'm terrified at how fast he can throw the ball. I'm, my, my mitt is for protection. Anybody ever seen the Sandlot? Remember when the kid gets hit in the eye with the ball and the dad just slaps the stake on his face to like help the swelling go down? If you haven't seen it, do a little homework this week and go check out the Sandlot. Um, listen, like that childlike wonder of like, that's my dad. He's big, he's strong, look what he can do. Listen, I was joking about Brennan earlier, but this is what I'm saying. Like, this God who's familiar and he has what it takes, he's available to me. I can know him. I can call him. He's right there. Think about the most important person on the planet you could meet. If there's a, an athlete, a celebrity, a political figure, whatever, 
that, that you just know, man, it would be the coolest thing in the world if I could meet them, if I could get five minutes with them. Guys, the, the creator of the universe is available to you like that. He'll meet you right there in your bedroom. He'll meet you out there on your porch. He'll be with you right there in your car. He's available. He loves us. And he's incredible. And so Jesus starts by recognizing our position. Our position is a position of adoration and reverence. That's our starting point. If we can approach God understanding that that I was made to adore him and to revere him and that I can know him, if that's my starting point, man, imagine where, where prayer life goes from there. And so that's where we start, understanding our position. Now, this first part, it's very conceptual, right? It's, it it kind of deals with how do, I, how do I think about him? How do I consider him in my heart? It's very here. But what I love about God is he doesn't just keep us in the vague realm of conceptual. He's a God who makes his presence known and available. He's real. He's practical. And so the next place Jesus goes in this prayer, it's tied so closely to this one. The next place he goes is the natural response to a really good God who's huge and incredible. And so in Matthew 6, verse 10, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Guys, this is where the remodel really begins. When I understand who's right there standing in my living room with me, it would be foolish not to say, here's the keys. You be king. You be in charge. It gets, it gets practical. And so this part of the prayer, it's, it's an invitation. If the first part is about understanding our position, then this second part of the prayer is about giving him permission. It's about giving him permission. God, you come be in charge. You come be king here. And this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where I'm saying yes to him. I am letting him show up and do what he wants to do. Listen, this, when you pray, your kingdom come and your will be done, the real question is, will I really hand over the reins? At the end of the day, will, will I really consider what this means in my life? that I'm willing to not be in charge anymore. This isn't just a nice prayer Jesus prayed. His life echoed this. And so let's look at two specific stories from the life of Jesus where this was real for him. The first place we're going to pick up just a couple chapters prior to this in, in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus in the, is in the midst of spending 40 days in the wilderness He's going without food, he's hungry, he's thirsty. And of course, in his tiredness, in his hunger, in a difficult place in life, man, that's where things really get hard. And so Satan goes, hey, you know, he's already having a rough go of things, I'll just kind of give him some space. No, he leans in right in a hard moment, a difficult moment, and comes to tempt him. And in Matthew chapter four, verse eight, says, the devil took him up 
on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Here's what this world has to offer. Look what is available to you. And Satan said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Y'all, we are offered kingdoms all the time. We're offered kingdoms all the time. Without even realizing it, we're grasping for our own kingdom all the time. I want to arrange my life. I want to be in control of what's happening in my life. You know when I'm the most frustrated and desperate and the shortest with my wife or kids? When things feel out of my control. And then I try to get control on things by being the angry, tough dad who's at least going to get this his way. We fight and we strive for control. We pursue things. We pursue other kingdoms. They're in front of us all the time. But listen, it's a lie. It's a lie. There is no kingdom that we're in charge of. What Jesus faced is a reality that we all face. We all serve somebody. We all do. And the biggest lie of our age is actually an old one. And that is the lie that I am somehow in charge and I am free to choose what I want to do. I'm free to follow my heart and follow my desires. And that lie, that offer to find our own kingdom, to find what's going to satisfy us, it leaves us frustrated and disappointed at best. Our society is, is more affluent, has more options for entertainment than any society maybe ever. And yet, we're depressed, we're addicted, we're frustrated, we're discouraged because we don't get satisfaction from the kingdoms that this world offers. And so Jesus doesn't just pray a nice little prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus faces the reality of the lie that is offered, that I will find satisfaction pursuing another kingdom. He faces that lie and he calls it for what it is, and he refused to buy it. Think about this. Think about who Jesus is if there was ever a person walking this earth who had the right to demand a kingdom, it was him. It was him. He's God in human flesh. He has every right to show up and take charge. And Satan says, hey, I can make this real easy for you. Right here in this moment, you can just make one decision and you've got it. Your rule and your reign can be established. What did the king of the universe do while he was on this earth? He laid down that kingdom in very practical, direct ways and surrendered it to his father, the king. And he, he consistently, regularly laid his will aside to do the will of the father. And he felt like it was worth it. He said, I and my father are one. I get to abide in him. I get to stay connected in him. 
to him. And so he lived a life that echoed this prayer where he laid down his rights, he laid down his privileges, he laid down his kingdom and said, not my will, but yours be done. He did this all the way to the point of the cross. You guys know this story. On the night he was betrayed, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to do what? To pray, to talk to the Father one more time. And was, 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 it, was he going to say, all right, God, tonight's the night. I can't wait. Let's do this. This is the reason I'm here. I'm ready for the cross. Let's go. No. The scripture records that he was sorrowful even to the point of death. He was, he was depressed. He was feeling the weight of what was coming. And so he gets his three closest friends and says, come a little further and pray with me. And he goes away from them and he begins to pray and in Matthew 26, verse 39, it says, he went a little further and he fell on his face and he prayed saying, oh my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. God, I, I'm gonna express my, my hopes, my desires this hurts, this is painful, but God, I'm willing to surrender and sacrifice and let you be in charge. And if this is what this looks like, all right, so be it. Verse 40, then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Listen to this, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We are prone to weakness and temptation. We're prone even in small, subtle ways to say yes to our kingdom and no to his. Our true strength is found in surrender. That's what Jesus is teaching them. It's an act of surrender to pray. It's an act of surrender to mean what we pray. It's an act of surrender to let our life um, cooperate in agreement with what God's up to. That's an act of surrender. God, you come be in charge. I'm gonna pray it, I'm gonna mean it, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk that out. Prayer is the vehicle for this. It's the, it's the way that we can, we can step into this. See, listen, what, whatever place we draw the line and we say here but no further, that's where we get stuck. Wherever we draw that line, that's the place where intimacy and adoration is sure to start coming to an end. That place where we draw that line. It's where our relationship with God can move into the phase of comfortable and neglecting instead of adoration and devotion. For, for some of us, the simplest thing we need to do to see something radically change in our prayer life is to go back to that spot where we said no. Go back to that place where I just, I closed things off. You know the remodel he wants to do? That last wall he pointed out that needed to come down. 
that room he was hoping you would let him into, that you said, mm, not yet. Many of us experience powerless prayer lives, and we haven't acknowledged the fact that it's because we told him no somewhere. It's nice to say, you're God, you're my father, you're incredible. It's a whole other thing to live like that is true. And to say, you are my father, and you are the king of the world, and, and you're king of my life. There's your throne. Here's the keys. And the beauty about our God is we can go right back and meet him at that same place where we drew that line and we said no and say, God, I give you that spot. I give you that territory. I'm tired of holding on to the doorknob and not letting you in. Come on. Have your will. Have your way. Come in. You want to experience intimacy with God? Talk to him and mean it. Talk to him and mean it. Let him in. Let him have access. If it scares you to death what he might say or do, you know what? Then you're actually practicing some reverence, believe it or not. Because you're realizing, oh my gosh, he might take me seriously here. He might want to deal with that. From position to permission, and here's the beauty, guys. When we give him permission, you know what comes next? His provision. His provision. He offers exactly what we need. It's available. Verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, I don't know about you, but when I've, when I've read this passage, I have often considered this the moment in the prayer where it pivots to something else. Okay, we're getting out of the way all the like, you know, formal stuff. Our Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Now let's get down to brass taxes here. I got to eat. <laughs> I, I need some things. <laughs> I need a roof over my head. I need some food on the table. God, I need to be able to pay that bill at the end of the month. I don't, I don't mean to be flipping about this. There's real things that we need. And I've, I view this, I've read this as a pivot to like, let's get down to the real stuff that I need. Now, I absolutely believe that we can talk to him about those real things that we need. But I believe first and foremost, the provision he offers is more than just bread. And you know why I believe that? Matthew chapter four. Back to Jesus in the wilderness. What's the first temptation when the enemy shows up and comes knocking on his door? Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Did you catch what the enemy is after there? He questions, he tries to get Jesus to question his position. If you're the son of God. He gets him to question his position. Then he goes after the issue of who's in charge. You command these stones to become bread. He's, he's
He's attacking the first two things Jesus said are essential. He attacks those, appeals to his desires, appeals to a very real present need. I'm hungry. I'm guessing Jesus was even hangry at this point. And so he's meeting him right at that real need and invites him to throw all of that out to meet this immediate deed. And Jesus answered him and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus understood that what truly sustained him was the words of God. That's where real provision came. That's where he was ultimately to be satisfied and sustained was there. Y'all, I just have to say, for many of us where our prayer life suffered, it wasn't at a place where we said no. It's at a place where he said no. It's at a place where something real and practical in our lives did not work out the way we wanted it to. He didn't seem to come through and provide the way we had expected. And and part of what's ripping us off in our relationship with him is we actually feel like, God, I did give you permission. I did the stuff. I said yes. I sacrificed. I gave. I've lived for you. I did all that. I viewed you as my great father who's good and wonderful and powerful. And I said yes, even in radical ways. I've said yes to you. I did my part. I surrendered. But in this spot, in this place, you said no, and I don't understand why. Why? It seems unjustified. It seems wrong. God, what are you doing? Man, I don't know if that's real for y'all, but that has been real in my life. And and the place that, that brought a wedge in my relationship with him was right there. Because God, I... I needed that. This is real. This is practical. This hurt. And this was real to Jesus. But he says, no, there's something larger that sustains me and satisfies me even when it doesn't make sense. Even when my most obvious need is not being met, I will not mock God. I will not cast him aside. I will not throw away my position as his child. I will not throw away a life that has been surrendered to him. I'm not taking that permission back. I'm not kicking him off the throne. He gets to stay there. And so God somehow, someway, in the midst of my hunger and my desperation and this wilderness that I'm in, I'm gonna choose to believe that you're good and you'll sustain me, that you have what I need. I think it's so interesting that Jesus is quoting here, while in a wilderness, Jesus is quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, after not 40 days in a wilderness, but 40 years. For 40 years, his people have been in the wilderness, and Moses is telling them, hey, you're getting ready to go in the promised land, but don't forget the lessons of the desert. Don't forget the lessons of the desert. And so Jesus is quoting from this verse, Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. So God humbled you and allowed you to hunger. (gasps) He humbles us and allows us to hunger. He fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that 
he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I want you to consider what provision is. Provision is something that is outside of you that you take in to fill you, to sustain you, and to strengthen you. One of the great lies of our culture is that we just need to look within to find the strength that we need. Then you are left with only what you got. And I don't know about you, but I ain't got enough. Provision is taking something in from the outside that fills and sustains and strengthens us. And God says the ultimate thing that will fill you and sustain you and will satisfy you for life is my word. And I'm gonna liken it to the manna that I gave you that by the way, you gotta get a little bit every day. Because if you try to store up what you picked up yesterday by tomorrow, it's gonna be stale and rotten. Some of us have spent too long living on yesterday's manna. Some of us have spent too long satisfied with something he gave us last week, last month, last year, five years ago, 10 years ago, and we're wondering why we feel like we're in a desert and it's dry. He's got something fresh for you today. It's daily bread, Jesus said. God, give me today my daily bread. I need to be filled and sustained today. See, here's the beauty of this. It all works together. I recognize my position by first understanding his position. He's the king of the world and he's my father. So then I can properly align myself with that and give him permission to be my dad and my king and let him be in charge. And then I can feed off of what he wants to give me. And you know what he's gonna give me? Fuel that's gonna help me better understand my position. I become more rooted and grounded and established in the love of Christ and who God is. It's, it's the anchor for my life. And I understand more and more who it is that loves me and fills me and sustains me. And I get more rooted in my position. And the more rooted I am in my position, guess what? The easier it is to let him be in charge. And the more I'll long to spend time with this God who's wonderful and loves me. It starts with an act of faith to believe that he is who he says he is and that he loves me and that my time with him is awesome. It's the best. It's what I'm made for. That that is so good and so rich and so available that whatever it might cost me, it's worth it. And whatever disappointment I might experience, what he has for me is better and will satisfy and is lasting. And so he's inviting me into something regular and steady and consistent. It's not an obligation to read the word of God and pray. It's an opportunity to eat. It's an opportunity to breathe. It's an opportunity to be satisfied and fulfilled. And so Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. 
come in humble adoration, recognizing who he is. Give yourself to devotion, surrendering to this Father that's in heaven. And daily, get in his presence and let him feed you with his living word. And it will sustain and fill and satisfy you, whether you're in the desert or the promised land. He's a provider. Let's pray. God, I I thank you that you know and you see each of us. You you know our position. (laughs) God, if if that's distant from you, if we've said no and we've drawn a line and said not going past here, or Lord, if our position is we feel like we did our part and we felt like maybe you haven't done yours. God, whatever spot we find ourselves in today, Lord, may may we take the step of faith to position ourselves properly, to stand in, in reverence and awe of who you are, but to experience relational intimacy with you because you're a good, loving father who wants to be with us. God, I pray that we would step into a place of praying real prayers where the rubber meets the road, where we we surrender to you in practical ways. God, if there's a door that we've closed, if there's a line that we've drawn, I pray it would leap to mind. Yes, it's that thing. Make no mistake, it's that. God, that it would come to mind and we'd give you permission again. We'd give you room back on the throne. God, if we've been disappointed or discouraged where we feel like you said no and didn't come through, God, would we dare to trust again that you are our ultimate provider, that your word that is alive, that it can be real to us right now today, that it satisfies, it sustains, that it's good because you're good. God, this this stuff takes courage and this stuff takes humility. It takes courage to meet you in the prayer closet. It takes humility to surrender and let you be in charge. But God, we long for real living relationship with you. Jesus, would you teach us to pray? It's in your name we pray this morning. Amen.